Why? Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we're joined by Eddie Olchuk, former Winnipeg Jet, longtime hockey commentator, worked with Doc Emmerich for many years, so we'll get his take on the retirement of the hockey broadcasting legend. We'll also talk to Ken Weeb of Sportsnet.ca, the Jets. Why haven't they made any more signings? What's going on? That's all on the podcast. Here's a shot by point save, rebound, score, point, power play goal, one nothing, lightning. Maroon dropped it on back, a feet across on Coleman, scores! Blake Coleman makes it two to nothing, Tampa Bay. And the Tampa Bay Lightning have won the Stanley Cup. And that's how the illustrious career of Doc Emmerich will conclude behind the microphone calling professional hockey games for almost five decades. And a man who has been alongside Doc for many of those games for NBC is Eddie Olchuk, who joins us now. Uh, Eddie, how are you doing tonight? Welcome to the show. I'm doing fine, Christian. Thanks for having me. So for those who may not know Doc outside of what they see on their TV, explain to those people what Mike Emmerich is like as a person. Well, I think what you see and hear on television, Christian, um, is is what Doc is uh, away from the booth. I mean, he's a genuine, sincere, passionate uh, human being. And, uh, you know, to have sat next to him for the last 14 years as his partner on a broadcast down here in the States uh, for NBC and doing, uh, you know, the biggest hockey games uh, at, at all different venues, whether the National Hockey League or at the Olympic Games, uh, to have been his partner, uh, certainly an honor and very humbled by that experience and an opportunity. But Doc is just, uh, you know, a terrific guy and uh, somebody that I certainly knew of when I was playing and he was right in the heart of his career when I broke into the league back in 84. And, uh, you know, he got a chance to meet with him and deal with him over the years. And then when I was coaching in Pittsburgh and in the early two thousands, uh, you know, I would talk to doc and the next thing you know, we get paired up in uh, the fall of 2006, I guess almost 14 years ago right now. And uh, we've been partners ever since. So I just think that when you hear doc and the energy and I mean, that's how he's, that's how he is away from the rink. And uh, I'm going to miss, Miss having him around and uh, in the stories and, uh, like I said, his passion, but uh, most importantly, the, the trust factor that we developed both in the booth and on the outside is something that I'll, I will uh, will cherish and miss uh, for the rest of my life. But uh, we'll continue to be friends, and Doc will still be a part of the National Hockey League, I'm sure. But, you know, we won't be hearing his call anymore and just hearing that uh, call uh, – and this year's Stanley Cup final with him being at home and uh, me being in the bubble uh, in Edmonton uh, kind of brought a, a quick little chill there, realizing that that was the, you know, the last time they were heard Doc call a National Hockey League game. What was that like being apart after being together, calling so many games side by side? Was there a growing pain, a growing curve or learning curve there, trying to figure out the timing, not being in the same spot? Yeah, I mean, I think more so because of the, you know, the, the technological issues of, of, a, of a slight delay or, you know, a pause, uh, 
you know, I mean, those are things you just can't control, but I think we worked out the bugs very quickly and, you know, look at it, it's the world that we're living in and it wasn't ideal, but Hey, we, we got the opportunity to, to uh, do the games and to pull it off. And a lot of people, Christian never thought that the league, the national hockey league could pull this off. And, uh, and obviously they were able to do that in, uh, in, in incredible fashion. And that, you know, speaks to the leadership of Mr. Bettman, the commissioner in the last National Hockey League, Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner, the board of governors, uh, the return to play committee. Um, I don't think hockey operations at the National Hockey League got a uh, got enough credit for the job that they did, uh, but also the teams and the players and the coaches. And let's not forget the unsung heroes on these hockey teams, the training staffs, the trainers who are the most overworking, underpaid people on a on a hockey team and you know, they are able to pull it off and, and let's not forget the, uh, the medical professionals there. They were able to keep it very clean and safe. And, um, so I was only in the bubble in Edmonton for 30 plus days. I wasn't there for the full duration, but, uh, it was a challenge, uh, but we were able to hopefully entertain and, uh, and take people away from the real world because we all know what the hell is going on out there. And, uh, hopefully people, you know, were enjoyed it and, uh, and, and help them pass the time, and uh, hopefully we'll get back to whatever the new normal is sooner than later. And uh, really looking forward to getting back and seeing people in the building and seeing familiar faces and and, and shaking hands and uh, and and seeing smiling faces. But uh, it was uh, an incredible journey, and like I said, the, the NHL and and everybody involved just did an amazing job, and uh, just very proud to been been a very small part of it, and uh, something I'll never forget. Did your vocabulary expand working with Doc? <laughs> uh, I highly doubt it. Um, I wouldn't want to try to use any of the <laughs> any of the words or adjectives or you know uh, you know subtle little phrases that Doc uh, had the incredible ability to um, you know to pull off while calling the the fastest game in the world and. And we've obviously done a lot of interviews here, Christian, over the course of the last couple of days and, and having found out on Sunday morning that Doc was going to, you know, ride off and skate off into the sunset and, uh, you know, just did a lot of obviously reminiscing and very emotional and and, and just, you know, knowing Doc most importantly as is, is, is a, is a friend. Um, but, I, you know, I think the, the, the greatest compliment that, that I ever got from Doc over the course of this time that we've known each other is that, I think it was about you know eight or nine years ago. He had said uh, to somebody that, uh, um, with us being partners, he said that I, I hope that Eddie uh, has someone when he is sixty-five that takes care of him as well as he is taking care of me. And uh, to get that from somebody like Doc, uh, the respect uh, I talked about, the trust factor, uh, certainly I will uh, cherish that for you know for the rest of my life. Looking at the the landscape now, you you mentioned trying to get back to normal whenever that is. Are you optimistic that a January one start date could actually happen? Uh, you know what? I, I mean, I, I I hope so, Christian. But um, you know, all we can do is go on. You know what the the league tells us, and, and look at the commissioner. Like I said, the, Gary Bettman to me has shown incredible. I think he's always had tremendous, uh, you know, shown great leadership by running the National Hockey League and looking and looking at where the league has has gone under his, uh, you know, under his, 
you know, his, his, his role as commissioner of the national hockey league. And right from day one, when everything shut down in March, uh, he, he was there when needed to be, when he needed to be, when something was needed to be said, he was there, but when there was nothing to say, you know, they went underground and I think kept everybody informed. And Oh, by the way, we did get a extension on the collective bargaining agreement through this whole thing. So to get the return to play committee and get back playing, um, he has said, look at, you know, the, 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 the medical professionals will, you know, the medical professionals will guide us and tell us on, you know, when, when we can get back and it's no different going into the start of next season. I mean, it's, it's the unknown. And, you know, I think the virus certainly is kind of unfortunately and sadly dictate on, you know, what's going on. I mean, the border, you know, the Canadian border with the U S is, closed now i think i was reading or seeing or hearing from somebody that you know it's going to be shut down here for the foreseeable future so you know how does that all play out if you're going to get back and you got seven teams uh, you know in canada and then you got the teams in the u.s and it's a little different than basketball and baseball as you know where you know you can move one team out and and go ahead and play but that's a little different and then you got the american league and you know, what's going on with, you know, the American League teams in, in, in Canada and obviously with the Moose there and, uh, you know, you got Toronto there. And, you know, so, I mean, there's just so many different obstacles. So long-winded, Christian, um, you know, I'm hoping we are. But, uh, you know, I, you know I, I'd, be, I'd be lying to tell you that I, that I knew or had any idea. I mean, hope against hope is that, yeah, we start sometime in January and, and uh, if we do, that means we're in a much better place then than we are right now. And hopefully we can get back to, you know, playing hockey. But again, I mean, the safety of everybody involved is first and foremost. And, and that's been the league's mindset from day one uh, since we've, uh, we've all been enduring this virus. I'm trying to rack my brain and think of if uh, Doc would have called a game in Winnipeg in the 2.0 era. And I'm not sure he would have. Have you called a game with him here? Uh, I have not. No, I've done. You know, I've done many a games uh, back in the peg uh, with uh, with the Blackhawks uh, right. coming in, uh, doing their games as well locally. But no, I don't think Doc. Uh, I don't think Doc got back to uh, got back to the peg. But certainly, uh, I filled him in on how uh, how awesome it is and, and the job that uh, the Mark uh, Mark has done, Mark Chipman and the entire staff there with Chevy and Zinger and. And the job that Mo has done behind the bench, and it's just uh, you know Winnipeg obviously is a very very special place and in the in the heart of uh, the old Czech family, and it's always great to get back there. And uh, you know I just you know try to paint a picture for him uh, of how awesome it is to to be in downtown Winnipeg and have the arena there. And uh, you know, but yeah, I, I don't believe that Doc uh, you know Doc had gotten back. Uh, um, you know, to Winnipeg uh, since the Jets have come back. Before I let you go, Eddie, I just want to ask you, since you are part of the, the broadcast team in Chicago, what the Blackhawks did today, putting out a letter basically saying, we're going to be in rebuild mode here. And mm-hmm. I, I think I appreciate the honesty that they're putting that out there, but what's the fan reaction to, to what's going on in Chicago? Yeah, you know what? Uh, I mean, I've been kind of tied up with some personal stuff here over the course of the last day or two, obviously, with, with Doc and whatever, and I just kind of got notice of everything here a little bit earlier, so really not enough time to, to process it, Christian. But, hey, you know what? It's a plan, and if that's uh, you know if that's the direction that they're going, um, then, uh, you know, uh, you got to have some patience and, 
and uh, and move forward. I mean, you still have some pretty pre, you know. I mean, I you, you still have pretty premier players. I mean, you got a couple of premier players, you know, on your roster and and what have you. But uh, you know, it's been a tough sledding here for for the Blackhawks here over the course of the last couple of years. And you know, they were in the bubble and they you know they took out Edmonton and uh, and then eventually lost to uh, to Vegas in the first round of the playoffs. But uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, everything kind of moves forward from here. And, you know, they moved out Corey Crawford. They moved out Brandon Saad. Uh, you know, they did they did make a couple of signings there. Uh, you know, they brought in Lucas Walmark. They brought in Matias Janmark from Dallas. They traded for Nikita Zadorov. So they have been, you know, active, I guess, in, in other areas, not only trading out a couple of important pieces, but bringing in some guys that have some, you know, have some stability and have, have some games under their belt. So it'll be really interesting to see, but uh, looking forward to getting back into the rink and seeing what's going on, not only here with the Blackhawks, but uh, throughout the National Hockey League. And always got an eye on what's going on up in the peg, Kristen. So uh, looking forward to seeing what uh, what everybody's got up their sleeve up there in, uh, in Winnipeg. Uh, a lot of people up here looking forward to that as well. Eddie, appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for this and enjoy the rest of the off season, however long it lasts. Uh, yeah, I am sure that they are. I'm sure everybody's kind of wondering what's going to happen up in the peg. But, uh, Christian, I wish everybody in uh, in, in Winnipeg and uh, the province of Manitoba a very good uh, holiday season coming up. And uh, stay safe and uh, uh, stay healthy. And uh, hopefully we'll be uh, back in the peg sooner than later. Ken Weeb joining us tonight. Uh, Ken, how has your day been? Uh, excellent. Sorry about that. Uh, That's okay. Taking the garbage out and the uh, the ringer just was not buzzing. Sorry about that. It's okay. No worries. We got you on. So uh, the Jets depth charts. We figure there will be more help coming, right? You, you got to think. Uh, I mean, what kind of help or are no. you looking for? I mean, I, I understand. Uh, I mean, for all the talk about the top four defensemen, I mean, if that's the case, well. Where are you fitting in Dylan Sandberger, Billy Hanala? I mean, I think there could be help eventually, but I don't. I don't see the Jets in the market for a second pairing defenseman unless they get one in a trade for someone like Jack Rosovic. I mean, obviously Mackenzie Weger is a name that is out there. Uh, Travis Dermott is an RFA that may have some interest, but I mean, for me, uh, I think. I've said all along. I think that at least one of Sandberger Hanala will be on the team. Uh, are those guys ready for a top four role? Probably not. But uh, as you mentioned, like just like January 40th, it's hard to predict how uh, a a 21 year old uh, junior from college or a 19 year old who's played a lot of pro hockey in Finland, how do they manage themselves during the break? We know Hanel has been playing, and we know that Sandberg is skating with uh, Derek Forbert and Neil Pionk. But what's it going to be like when they actually have to face competition? I mean, that's the big question for me. And uh, although Forbert is more of a, of a of a depth defenseman who's probably best served on your third pairing and help your first penalty kill, I mean, he's played first pairing minutes with Drew Doughty for the majority of his career. So uh, for those people who think it's a big stretch to think that Forbert could be on the second pairing with, with Neil Pionk, I mean, I think that's that's a legitimate possibility, at least at the start, if those young guys aren't ready. And the reality is for most teams in any sport to be successful just the salary caps being what they are you need young inexpensive talent and that could definitely be the case with the Jets team we don't really know what we got with Samberg but fans here saw Billy Hanel in a small sample size last year and it 
didn't look too bad for a guy who was very young and just slotted in there right off the bat. Yeah, absolutely, Christian. And that's the thing. Of course, there were nights where uh, Hanela looked like an 18-year-old because he was one. But there were other nights when he was playing 20 minutes on that, you know, sometimes second pairing uh, due to injuries, and uh, he handled himself quite well. I mean, there are going to be growing pains with those two young defensemen, but I think they have to be given an opportunity to play. I mean, we've talked about this a little bit in previous episodes uh, or appearances. I mean, what if the, we know the American League wants to play, but what if they can't play? What what if we're looking at alternate training sites like MLB had to go through this year? If that's the case, I mean, as long as those guys aren't falling flat on their face, they need a place to play, and I think they'll be given an opportunity. So, I mean, I think the other thing to remember, too, I understand that fans want everything fixed overnight and immediately, but if we're looking at the marketplace, there's still some pretty good players out there and free agency that, that are not signed at all. And I also think that based on the nature of the zero revenue, or not zero revenue, but limited revenue streams, there are going to be teams that are selling off parts early, especially because of the expansion draft for Seattle that we've talked about before as well. So uh, that's why I wanted to write the story. I mean, I think that it's reasonable to expect this is how the Jets start on the back end, uh, barring a trade. And I think that would not be a bad place to start. And I know a lot of people think, well, just replace Brian Little's money right away. Well, if the Jets chose to go that route, they leave themselves awfully thin when it comes to in-season injuries and the ability to pick up players during the season. It's a lot easier to manage your LTIR in-season. So for me, I think it's much more likely to give one of those two kids a try and after playing them for the bulk of the season or, or a month or two or whatever it is, then you go and add that top four defenseman if this team is, is in the midst of a wild card chase and, and needs some help on the back end. I think that's that's the more likely opportunity to add on the back end. It's not to say that Kevin Shovelday up won't add one if he could now, but I think I, I don't see if I don't see a scenario where neither one of Hanela or Sandberg are not at least given a chance to show that they can win the job. Fair enough. Looking at the landscape, Ken, we weren't sure what this offseason would look like. Once free agency began, we wondered if there'd be just a ton of trades. And the reality is there have not been many. Signings have been very limited, except for right off the start. There are a lot of names still out there, but there are many teams that can afford some of these players. Are are we going to end up seeing players just saying, you know, sometime in December, if it takes that long, okay, I'll take a bargain basement deal or I'll just go to Europe and sign there. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, and how many of those European jobs are going to still remain open for that long? I mean, that's the other part of it. Uh, and we wondered also, too, about those depth players. Uh, some of the, you know, 4A players, for lack of a better term, would normally be getting, you know, three or $400,000 in the American League. How many of those guys would, would take a sure thing in Europe or how many would wait? I mean, uh, even depth goaltenders. I mean, not, there's still a lot of those guys out there available around the league as well. So I, I think some folks are, you know, unhappy, but I think most people who are watching understood the fact that the, you know, the middle class, for lack of a better term, of the National Hockey League is starting to thin out quite dramatically. I mean, the upper crust players are always going to be getting paid. Uh, there's going to be a lot of, minimum salary or guys in that one one and a half million range that are signed but that three to four million dollar 
uh, middle ground, uh, I think it's not going to be eliminated entirely, but it's certainly going to be a, a reduced number of players that are fitting into that uh, that class. So, so yeah, so that leaves you, you know, a couple options. Uh, you either take a uh, bet on yourself, one-year deal, similar to what uh, Nate Beaulieu did last uh, summer, or or you wait for somebody to have an injury, and then <laughs> you hope that. Uh, some team will find the money. Yeah. And that, and that, that scenario could be playing out right now as well. For guys like Sammy Botman and even to a degree, uh, I mean, Winnipeg or Travis Hamannick, I mean, uh, he's one of the guys that remains unsigned as well. I think he'd generate a lot of interest, but I don't know if it's a matter of teams not, you know, offering the right number of years, or, I mean, we expect he'd like to play in the Western conference, but uh, you know, so far he's had to be patient. And I mean, I'm very curious to see how that plays out as well. Well, and right now, you mentioned in your article as well, the Jets have about 27000 bucks in cap space <laughs> with the Brian Little contract still on the books. That's uh, not a lot to work with. No, exactly. And, and we also know that, I mean, Jansen Harkins, you know, basically became an NHLer last year. I expect him to be in the NHL this year. I mean, he's probably going to have to take a two-way deal. But, you know, even at a minimum contract, that's, 700,000. So, you know, there's going to have to be a little bit of money movement around. And uh, Jack Rosovic, uh, if he remains on the roster going into the year, I would think that he'll be somewhere in that Jordan Greenway uh, scenario in terms of, of money on a bridge deal, somewhere in the $2 million range. You know, it could be a little more, it could be a little less, depending on how uh, they find that middle ground. But, uh, I mean, we also know that, you know, Jack Rosovic is a guy whose name is out there. Uh, and for good reason, I think that the Jets uh, are looking for a deal for him. I mean, outside of the blockbuster, like moving Patrick Laine, which we're still on the same page there, I don't think it's going to be happening uh, imminently. Uh, then Rozovic would be a guy as a first-round draft pick coming off a career-high season who would be generating interest around the league. So, and then we haven't even talked about Sammy Niku. Where does he fit in? I mean, is, he doesn't. He's not waiver. El- I mean, he's waiver eligible now. He's not waiver exempt. So, uh, in a league where all teams are looking for defensemen, uh, a mobile guy like Sammy Niku would per- certainly uh, generate some interest. And I don't see him clearing waivers. So I would think that he could be another guy who's maybe in a in a package deal, whether it's with Rosovic or someone else. Any update on the Patrick Line front? Yeah, I mean nothing concrete no i mean i uh, wrote about him on, on on friday and i mean my stance hasn't changed i, I understand uh you know we know how the business works uh, I, I like i said i don't think it was a coincidence that uh, the agents came out with uh <laughs> with pierre lebrun uh, the day after brendan gallagher's uh, contract situation came to a head after the day after it was leaked that talks had broken down i mean uh they saw some <laughs> they saw an opportunity to apply some public pressure but uh, the history of the Winnipeg Jets when it comes to public pressure is that uh, get in line, and if a trade's going to happen, it's going to happen on, on Kevin Dayoff's terms. I mean, uh, we know that Evander Kane asked for a trade long before he got moved, and we know that the first Truba trade request was in 2016, and he got moved in the summer of 2019. So for me, uh, both sides need each other here, Christian. I think that's probably the best way to put it. In order for Patrick Line to get paid, nine or $10 million or whatever the market correction dictates on a long-term deal, he needs to have a 40 plus goal season and him staying at home or not playing, or I don't see having been around Patrick Lina for these four years covering the team. He's not the kind of guy who is pouting or hanging around with a, 
with his lip uh, lip out. So for me, he is going to want to have an incredible season. I think that uh, having knowing that Paul Stastny is going to be around will help him twofold. He knows he's had success with him, and he also knows that Blake Wheeler's had success, success with him. So even though my preliminary depth chart had the usual Connor Shifley Wheeler, we know there's an opportunity uh, for consideration that line A maybe is on that top line with, with Mark Shifley. So for me, I, I see Patrick Liney as a Winnipeg Jet when the season starts, and I think it's um, a good opportunity that he could spend the entire season. And then once we get to the next offseason, well, I mean, then all bets are off, and it will depend on how the negotiations uh, for a long-term deal go. But for me, I think the Jets can't afford to rush a move for Line A just because his agents, <laughs> as I use the term, a little bit passive-aggressive when it comes to a non-trade request request. I mean, uh, for me, I still think that this uh, situation is salvageable, and I still expect Patrick Line to play his best hockey. Finally, Ken, what do you think of the prospect of a Canadian division next year? Oh, man, delightful. Uh, I think it would be absolutely awesome to see. I mean, on a short-term basis, of course, we know there will be, you know, some travel complaints from the, those teams on the <laughs> on the far you know, east or west coast. But for me, I think it would be absolutely fabulous for hockey. Uh, we know it would generate a lot of buzz in our in our fine country. And I mean, I think the majority of the teams in the Western, you know, in the Canadian division are kind of on the rise. If you look at what Montreal has done during the off season, we know that uh, uh, optimism is uh, reigning supreme in Toronto, regardless of how uh, you know how many struggles they've had in the in the first round these last few years. But I mean, the Western teams, Vancouver's kind of back on the rise, even though uh, their off season maybe wasn't what they had been hoping for. You know, Calgary getting Markstrom and Tanev, I think that should help a team that got a little taste of playoff success and we know the Oilers still have uh, you know they have McDavid and Dreisaitl so they're going to be in the mix as well and I mean people can say whatever they want about Ottawa but I mean in a year or two you know in a couple of years let's say two or three years uh, they should be right in the mix I mean this is an organization that did well at the draft table and uh, you know getting Evgeny Dodonov I think is a really smart move uh, to help mentor some of those young players uh, in their organization. So I think it would be fabulous. I think it would be a lot of fun and exciting, and you can sign me up uh, if that's what they end up doing. Well, we just hope there's hockey of any really kind, whoever they're playing. We just want it to happen, and I think that's the number one priority coming up. All right, Winnipeg Jets depth chart or more blue line reinforcements on the way. That is the name of the column you can find on sportsnet.ca. The author is Ken Weeb. Ken, thanks for your time as always. My pleasure, Christian. Who do you got in the World Series? Who do you got? Dodgers. You? Okay. Uh, Dodgers and six. I will go also. We, we agree on another thing. Have a great night. Thanks for having me. All right. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell. Or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?